TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast, featuring actionable tips from real people with real stories about real food. This show is presented by Primal Health Coach Helen Marshall, who empowers other paleo-loving, thermomix-owning mums to start a sustainable, faff-free business of their own with the Primalista License. The Primalista License brings primal alternatives to the foods we love to our communities, making primal living more doable with less falling off the wagon. The Primalista License is available at www.primalalternative.com. And now, introducing your host, Helen Marshall. Today on the Primal Alternative Podcast, I am joined by one of my industry faves, Brad Kearns. Brad is a speaker, author, and coach in the health and in- health and fitness world. In his nine-year career as a triathlete, he was one of the world's top-ranked professionals. Brad is lucky enough to work with the guru, Mark Sisson, on the Primal Blueprint, and recently co-authored a book, called The Keto Reset. Before we dive into the interview today, I just wanted to give you a little insight of what to expect. Brad was so generous with his time and is going to talk to us today about sleep, stress, breakfast ideas, why the woulda, shoulda, coulda mindset doesn't work, how you can only take what your body gives you every day and nothing more. We're also going to tell us all about keto, how to get into a state of ketosis, what we should be eating, whether we should be doing that all the time. And he's also going to give us his personal opinion on the wine, chocolate and coffee questions that I love to ask my guests. He's also going to tell us what he had for breakfast, which I am always so interested in. And he's also going to tell us why going keto should be on everyone's bucket list. Totally interesting. Now, if you find this episode incredibly inspiring, I invite you to come and hang out with me next Wednesday, which is, she flicks through her diary, Wednesday the 25th of October for my Human Health 101 presentation. I'm a primal health coach. Um, Brad helped write the course that I did and graduated from. And the Primal Blueprint have put together this Human Health 101 presentation. It is freaking amazing. It is so sleek and so emotive and really brings the message home. And I absolutely want you to come and hang out with me then. It's a masterclass that's happening online. Uh, at 10 o'clock. Um, all, I'll put the link to sign up for a seat in the show notes and um, it's entirely free. If you can't make it, I will send you the replay. And if you want to give Going Primal a go for yourself, join me on October the 30th for the final 21-day challenge of 2017. So during the 21-day challenge, we look at moving to a primal way of eating. And I love in this interview how Brad also uh, trots off meat, fish, fowl, legs, nuts, seeds, fruits, vegetables, fats and oils. It's It should roll off your tongue when you know exactly what you want to eat. But also, we, it does start with food, but we also need to look at 
um, movement, mindset and lifestyle to the four pillars, which we discuss in this interview too. So if you want to give it a go, my 21 day challenge only costs 40 Aussie dollars to be involved with. Um, and it happens in a Facebook group with other amazing women just like you. Uh, and really, that's where the magic happens. The, you get the accountability, you get the inspiration and you get to celebrate success with other awesome sisters too. Let's jump straight into the interview. Uh, Brad and I started chatting and the interview just kind of started. So we just get straight into it. Here we go. So the, the thing that I really want to pick your brains about today is keto, because I don't know what it's like um, where you are, but here everyone is hot and obsessed about keto um, and so really I want to kick off with that. Um, I've, I've got a couple of readers questions and the first one is what does the diet look like and how do I do it safely? So I thought that was a really cool place to start. Are you happy to, to start there? Oh yeah. The book, the book. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Never heard of keto. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Just written um, we can start wherever. Start with a good question, yeah. All right, cool. Well, I'd like to start off with um, what Brad Kearns had for breakfast. Oh, interesting question um, because uh, as as I immersed myself into keto along with Mark Sisson uh, almost a year ago now when we first started working on this project and realizing how hot and explosive the concept was and how popular um, – you know, I, I did assorted a, a different experiments to see how things would work, including a, a full immersion into nutritional ketosis for 140 days where I was poking my finger and checking the blood numbers and doing all that stuff. And then I kind of mm. uh, spun out of it and allowed a little bit more relaxed macronutrient intake um, and, you know, I've gone for several months with just a more freewheeling approach where um, I bet you many, many days I'm still adhering to keto guidelines and some days I'm not, especially Especially if someone puts a, uh, uh, you know, a tantalizing homemade treat in front of me, I might be I might be known to try it and enjoy my life. So, um, one <laughs> thing I'm doing lately, um, yeah, and I, this is with um, consultation with the guys over at Nourish Balance Thrive who are doing this really interesting. Uh, comprehensive wellness, peak performance, blood, urine, stool, saliva testing to identify all kinds of things that um, might be missed by traditional medical testing. And so I'm going through their protocol and we're doing shows about it and discussing it at length. But one of the things that um, Dr. Tommy Wood suggested to me was, um, you know, I'm, I'm very metabolically efficient. I'm fat adapted. I can fast uh, no problem. And I enjoy uh, waiting until noon to eat my first meal as a routine. Um, seems to work well for me, but he also speculated that at times, because I have these, uh, I continue to have these athletic goals and want to, uh, you know, stay fit and, um, and do performance-related things, um, maybe I wasn't consuming enough calories at times due to all the mm. fasting that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so he said, you know what, you should just try eating more general total calories. I don't need to worry about my excess body fat. That's not a complaint. I just want more energy and peak performance and, and all that good stuff. My blood numbers were good. And so lately, I've been doing this uh, to, to answer your question from 17 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> I've been making this uh, super nutrient-dense green smoothie in the morning. And that's a change from fasting, which I had done for several months and enjoyed that too. So now I make a purposeful effort to get a lot of nutrition in there. It's not a high-carb smoothie like a lot of people are um, used to uh, considering when you say the word smoothie. So I use a base of like unsweetened almond milk or coconut milk. 
and I'll put in maybe a handful of blueberries, maybe not, but I'll put in all kinds of green matter like celery, kale, chard, spinach, um, beets will go in there, um, and then assorted powders and supplements that I'm uh, taking as part of this protocol, but also things like collagen, maybe some whey protein. Um, and it turns out to be a pretty, um, uh, it's a pretty robust, uh, uh, preparation where sometimes I have to consume it with a spoon because it's so thick. <laughs> so that's my, my long answer is I've been having a green smoothie lately, um, but I also um, have no problem fasting and believe that um, it's a great lifestyle practice for anybody, especially trying to lose excess body fat or suffering from metabolic damage, trying to recover from things. Um, you can play with that and see how it feels. But we're always trying to test and refine what works best for us. And I know the world of um, thyroid and adrenal dysfunction, um, There, some people are saying that you know, that that restricting those calories, fasting might be an additional stress on the adrenals and the thyroid for certain people. And so, you know, respecting those voices, it might be a good idea to try, you know, something that has a high fat content, even if it's a beverage or an omelet or um, a smoothie that has a lot of good, uh, dense nutritional value, and then see what works and uh, measure things and carry on. So we're like totally doing the interview now, Brad. So we're just going to carry on because the <laughs> Because that's what's happening right now. And it's really strange because I think you must be able to read uh, my next question, which was, you know, if you do have an adrenal uh, issue or a thyroid issue, is fasting is fasting a problem? Or is it something we should be um, really not concerned with until we've got things a bit more under control? Um, well, as your listeners will soon uh grow to understand, I really like to do um, wise guy responses sometimes and okay. not answer the question directly. <laughs> and the first thing that I want to say on this matter is if you got those hormonal issues or fatigue or anything along those those lines, I want to go to the sleep uh, uh, issue right away. And I think most people just don't sleep enough. Their evenings are filled with excess artificial light and digital stimulation after dark. So they're watching their Netflix queue or they're uh, catching up on emails and they're living this high-stress, hectic-paced life where they're constantly hyper-connected, even with the small device in their hand and innocently uh, fussing around in the hours before bed. And so if you can prioritize sleep at the very highest level of what your life is all about and what you're, what you're committed to, to try to gain that health and, and regain that health and energy vitality, um, that's where I'd go first. And then everything else is sort of downstream from there because what we see in a lot of occasions are people that are extremely exquisitely precise with their diet and following the rules and they never depart. They don't eat sugar. They don't eat any bad stuff. They don't have uh, alcohol, uh, extra caffeine, uh, sugar, grains, uh, but they're still in this kind of high-stress lifestyle pattern. So those great efforts that they're making toward diet are in, in some ways going to waste because they're not getting that, that basic covered, which is adequate, sufficient sleep. Then is fasting going to be a stress? And mm. gee, you know, I, I don't know the, uh, I don't want to offer like a definitive answer there. But I think, again, if we're looking at the big picture, you should be able to fast comfortably and be able to operate on internal energy stores um, for several hours upon waking up every morning. So you should be able to sustain an overnight fast and then get into um, your busy, hectic day without having energy level mood swings or hunger pains. And if you do, Guess what? You should go eat something. So we don't want to ever get <laughs> into radical. this mindset that, um, 
you know, the, the woulda, coulda, yeah, you know, the woulda, coulda, shoulda mindset where you're, you're, you're doing something that maybe your coach recommended and you feel like you'll let the person down if you uh, don't fast until 12 noon because that's what's written on your chart or something. So I always want to um, honor the um, hunger and satiety signals from the body. And so anytime you're hungry, um, you go find some healthy, nutritious food. But I think the main thing and the, the people in our world that are uh, we're familiar with, unless you're stumbling upon this podcast for the first time, is you know I want to get away from that carbohydrate dependency lifestyle where you wake up first thing in the morning and slam your system with a high dose of refined carbohydrates and then perpetuate the cycle of being dependent on dietary carbohydrates for energy because that absolutely will stress the adrenals the thyroid and it'll put you in constant fight or flight stimulation because when you don't get um when you don't get access to your stored body fat and you're burning through the glucose that you consume quickly your body will make a steady supply of glucose to fuel your energy needs because you're a glucose preferential burner and you'll do that through activating the fight or flight response getting those cortisol levels high and just basically leading a high stress life because of your food choices as well as all the other stresses in your life yeah right so back on to sleep because you know i absolutely agree sleep is king so what about if you're getting into bed you know like half past nine ten o'clock um you might have been messing around on your phone but you've got the blue blocker thing on there and it's all nice and amber glows and you've got your rock salt lamps and your candles but you know you're, you've been on facebook a little bit perhaps or instagram uh till half past nine you go to bed you fall asleep you feel like you've had perfect sleep you wake up at half past six and you feel absolutely exhausted what's going wrong there well um you're probably paying the price for decades of abuse in some way, shape, or form. And I can certainly uh, empathize with that because, you know, I was competing as a professional triathlete for nine years from ages 20 to 30. And I did a lot of damage to my body and my endocrine system and my fight or flight response during those years. And I feel like it's possibly, uh, you know, I'm possibly still paying the price in some ways because, um, you know, if you live that rock star lifestyle, which I had nothing. <laughs> to do with that but it might as well have been rock star lifestyle and not sleeping and, and partying all the time because i was pushing my body too hard and ignoring a lot of warning signals from my body so i feel like um if you can get that holistic alternative health care to make sure that you're covering all the bases and you're doing things right the rest of it is you have to take what your body gives you each day and nothing more and that's a tough lesson to learn uh, for me as an athlete, because I wanted to be the best guy and train, I was willing to train as hard as I could to beat those bloody Australians who were dominating the sport <laughs> for so many years. Um, but if you're tired and it's not there and the energy's not there, you have to honor that and you have to sit back and wait it out until you can generate energy naturally. Yes, I love that. Take what your body gives you every day and no more because... You're right. Otherwise, you're just kind of depleting, depleting, depleting. And I guess, you know, most of the listeners listening to this show, um, you know, have, have lived with that 80s and 90s uh, diet and fitness industry um, flawed advice of um, eat less, move more. And we've literally starved ourselves for the last 20 years and exercised ourselves to ridiculousness, had stressful jobs. You know, obviously the, the female revolution, we, we can do everything. And uh, I guess it's put a lot of stress on our system. And I guess that although you do get fantastic results um, when you do turn to primal, it's going to take more than just three or four years to heal all of the damage that we've done, right? 
Uh, I hope not, because three or four years is a bloody long time, and <laughs> I'd want to be impatient with things like regaining my health. I don't, I don't think you should settle for, let's say, the traditional medical approach of saying, well, um, you're just going to have to not exercise until you feel better. And perhaps there's ways that you can, um, you know, take some dietary supplements, uh, things that you're falling deficient on, get out there and walk and get exposure to um, direct sunlight as soon as you awaken because these will start to trigger bones and you do things to help along your than simply waiting around and laying until your energy comes back. So I didn't. I want to clarify what I said before. I mean, I take what your body gives you each day, nothing more. But you work really hard to get the most out of your body and cover all the bases possible, and um, you know, never give up or give up hope or resign yourself to saying that this is uh, this is normal um, because you know we're all on a quest for better health, and that's kind of my you know that's my hobby in life is to see how I can promote longevity, how I can improve my peak performance. Even as I am an old guy, I still want to jump over the high. <laughs> jump bar and do better than I did last year and all those things that give me that um, passion for life and competitive drive and intensity but they have to be done properly and one thing that you said where you had that dream the the feminist liberation thinking you can do it all mm. and the truth is that you can but when you do it on fumes, when you do it on borrowed time, you will pay the price down the road. And I use this analogy when I'm talking to groups of athletes about their preparation and how many workouts do they need to do before they're really prepared for the Ironman. And I say, you know what, if I came over and put a gun to your head right now, this afternoon, you would be able to complete a marathon 26-mile run or a 140-mile Ironman. You'd be able to do it. You'd dig deep into your reserves. You might cross the finish line and they take you right into uh, Queensland General Hospital or whatnot. <laughs> but you can finish it because that adrenaline response, that fight-or-flight response is so powerful in our body. And when we tap into that day after day after day and year after year to get through our overnight nursing shifts and also train for the endurance events or do CrossFit five times a week instead of two and a half, um, those are the things where intuitively you probably know deep down that you're you're burning the candle at both ends you probably know that you're not honoring your health and so uh, you know to make that recalibration to say wow i really got a lot going on right now some things are going to have to go um so i'm going to let my kids fend for themselves instead of look after them so i can train more whatever your decision <laughs> is you're going to have to tone things down and dial things back yeah Love it. Now, Brad, I've, I've got you on the show today to talk about ketosis. Um, and I guess the best place to start um, is with a reader's question. So I've got a question here from Chanel Bayliss, and she asks, what is the keto diet? What does it look like and how do I do it safely? So that's you off to be able to talk for the next three hours, right? <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna go get a go to snack, get some porridge, and come back to the to the podcast. Um, so, the keto diet is uh, kind of the highest expression of the primal paleo low carb uh, dietary movement. And when you restrict carbs to a really uh, diligent extent, you will start to manufacture an alternative energy source in your liver. And these are known as ketones. And the ketones are made under these unique and delicate circumstances where you're burning uh, a lot of fat, whether it's body fat or ingested fat, you're burning primarily fat, and you have uh, low levels of insulin, 
blood glucose and also uh, uh, stored liver glycogen. So it's kind of a, a genetically programmed starvation mechanism where if we can't find sugar in our environment to consume, we make a sugar-like substance, a glucose-like substance that burns in the body uh, just in the same manner that glucose does. But in fact, it burns more cleanly with less less oxidative damage than does the what we call dirty burning glucose, which is the uh, the sugars in our diet and the conversion of uh, other forms of carbohydrate into glucose to burn. So the body, uh, the brain really loves to burn ketones. The heart really loves to burn ketones. The skeletal muscle will burn ketones just as efficiently or more efficiently than glucose. So it's kind of a, a pretty um, distinct and regimented eating pattern because as soon as you consume a appreciable amount of carbohydrates, the liver shuts off ketone production in short order because the body senses that it does not need to produce ketones because it has plenty of glucose. So a single glass of orange juice or an innocent uh, grab of some Halloween candies at the front desk at the office <laughs> – you will shut off ketone production uh, for a, a long period in some cases, but uh, you have to work really hard to get into ketosis in the first place. So it, it requires a sustained period of dietary carbohydrate restriction, and the often touted uh, level is to consume 50 grams per day of carbohydrates or below that to promote the, um, the state of ketosis or the burning of ketones. Okay, so how would a typical day look um, for those of us who might not measure the grams of carbohydrates that we're eating? What would a typical day look like if you were trying to get into um, into a state of ketosis, Brad? Uh, thanks. Good question. Team me up. Good. Um, what we talk about in our new book, Mark Sisson and I, The Keto Reset Diet, is we talk about this measured and methodical approach to progress toward the potential to attempt nutritional ketosis. And I am saying it long-winded like that because because this diet is so popular and it's a fad and there's a lot of information about it, people think, okay, I'll try it. I'll just stop eating carbs tomorrow and I'll get into ketosis and see what happens. And what happens is you're going to have bad breath, which is a telltale sign that you are excreting these ketone bodies because they're broken down into acetone and that's the acetone breath uh, that comes out of your mouth and you also excrete them uh, in the urine as well because you're not good at burning them. So the first thing you have to think about is that you have to get off that carbohydrate dependency eating pattern where you have regular meals with a significant amount of carbohydrates and you've been doing so for years and decades because that's the standard western diet is a high carbohydrate diet high insulin producing diet you hardly ever produce ketones and you're not good at making them or burning them and so if you shut off the access to carbs that you've had for years and decades you're not going to succeed with an with a keto approach. So the first step is to get rid of grains and sugars in the diet and start eating a more nutrient-dense, primal, paleo, ancestral-style diet where we choose from the familiar food groups of meat, fish, fowl, eggs, vegetables, fruits, nuts, and seeds. So the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet that sustained human evolution, and those become the centerpiece of the diet. We've cut out the sugars and the grains, and we're transitioning gradually toward um, – a, a future point where we're going to restrict carbohydrate intake further to get these special keto benefits. But first, you better be pretty uh, devoted, primal, paleo, low-carb style eater to really consider something like keto. 
Um, if you short circuit that and say, I'm going to go into the five day keto blast because I saw <laughs> a flashing ad on the internet, what you're going to do is instead of eating the sugar, your body will make the sugar from the aforementioned fight or flight response where you break down lean muscle tissue into glucose and that fuels your brain's ravenous needs for glucose. So we want to do this the right way and be gradual and methodical if necessary. If you don't have a lot of experience eating primal paleo or if you've been eating primal paleo for many years, you can try it tomorrow by just uh, emphasizing um, – the high fat foods, getting yourself full satiety and satisfaction in each meal, and just dialing back even some of the nutritious carbs temporarily so that you can experiment with this ketosis. So um, because vegetables, uh, leafy green vegetables, high fiber vegetables, don't contribute a lot of net carbohydrate content, the keto diet can be highly abundant in these very nutritious foods that have a lot of benefits for gut health and, um, and and fiber and antioxidant value. So you can eat a high vegetable intake diet and really the carbs that you want to watch out for are those starchy tubers like sweet potatoes, squash, things like that that are a little um, a higher carbohydrate content than let's say leafy green, things like that. You want to stay away from uh, a large intake of fruit because when you add up all the fruit you consume, especially if you're Weight Watchers and you get zero points for fruit, you will tend to eat you know, four or five apples and several slices of pineapple a day, and we know that that's converted into sugar in the body too. So the fruit intake has to be pretty minimal um, and also kind of getting rid of all the other uh, kind of trickly forms of carbohydrate that might roll into your diet, like a pinch of sugar here and there into your iced teas and um, wherever else it's adding up because that 50 grams comes up pretty quickly. So um, to give a picture of what it might look like, a lot of keto people are really enthusiastic about fasting because the appetite is so normalized. It's moderated when you get into this ketogenic state. You simply don't spike or have blood sugar drops that stimulate appetite because you're so good at burning fat and you're burning fat at such a high rate. You can easily go through the day just getting your meals off of your storage areas in your body or from the high fat meals that are the centerpiece of the keto eating style. So if you wanted to start your day in the morning with a delicious omelet with vegetables and avocado and salsa and cheese and bacon inside and you have this wonderful meal that's got a lot of nutritional value and it's going to satisfy you for many hours afterward without spiking blood sugar. So you won't even feel hungry until um, hours in the afternoon and then maybe if it's a snack time rather than reaching for an energy bar or a sweetened beverage you can go get a handful of macadamia nuts or some high cacao percentage dark chocolate, and again, get a high-fat, nutritious, deeply satisfying snack that will keep your energy going and keep you in that fat-burning state rather than defaulting back into the carbohydrate-burning state, which we know obviously happens when you reach for that energy bar and you didn't notice on the label that it had 32 grams of carbohydrates or these massive doses that are so objectionable to our health that we consume in the course of a day without even thinking about it because they're mm -hmm. so commonplace. The, the um, I don't know if you have Starbucks in Australia, but the sure sweetened do. drinks that they pedal there you know, some of them have up to 100 grams of carbohydrates, which is something that, you know, might have taken our ancestors two or three or four days to consume that many carbs. And we drink it starting from the drive from the drive through mm -hmm. back to our office. And it's just a huge affront to our genetic expectation for health and also to our goals of reducing excess body fat or trying to curb hunger so that we can align with our, our goals of exercising and, and burning calories in a way that we're going to drop body fat. 
Absolutely. And the coffee has come, you know, when we're talking about Starbucks, uh, let alone the the carb content in, in one of those coffees that we would, yeah, as you say, Brad, mindlessly drink in the car while we're driving. We probably wouldn't even notice that we've consumed so much um, calories and carbohydrates in one hit. But the coffee has come so far away from the humble espresso to be, you know, a triple shot latte with caramel and cream. But taking it back to just coffee in in its purest form, Brad, what are your thoughts on coffee since we've just hit a Starbucks um, tangent? I never touch the stuff. You can see I'm a nervous guy already if you're watching on YouTube. <laughs> I'm just full of energy. My toes are tapping. I'm wiggling around. Um, but dating back to the time when I was a professional athlete, I wanted to notice and experience all the fatigue that I had because that would allow me to make the proper training decision. So I did not want to wake up feeling dragon and groggy and then slam a hot beverage and get an artificial central nervous system stimulant to allow me to go out and perform because that is like we talked about earlier in the show, you know, that's an example of operating on borrowed time or burning the candle at both ends, whatever you want to say, where you're jacked up on a stimulant and that might affect, um, you know, the, your best interests over long long period of time. So I like to manufacture my energy naturally from sun exposure and perhaps some uh, deep breathing drills or some stretching drills first thing in the morning. I like to do my uh, morning stretching mobility flexibility routine. And if you go on YouTube and you type in Brad Kern's morning routine, um, it's gone absolutely viral with over 70 views. Uh, but I show <laughs> the little scissor kicks and the hamstring moves. <laughs> that was a, a delayed laughter from across the ocean. Yeah, that is my goal in life is to do like a viral YouTube video with millions and millions of views. So someday it'll happen. But right now I have my Brad Kern's morning routine and it's the way that I get the energy going naturally, get the blood flowing. So I'm sort of against it for that reason. And there's all kinds of messaging out there that caffeine drinkers live, coffee drinkers live a little bit longer than non-coffee drinkers and all that nonsense. And um, I don't think it's going to be terrible for you if it's part of your life and you enjoy the ritual and the smell and all those things that I actually don't enjoy about coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do want to caution anyone to not use it as an energy crutch. So if you have the afternoon blues and you're falling asleep at your desk and you walk down to the break room to get some coffee, you have some issues in your life that might best be examined back at the source rather than just counting on the coffee machine to not be broken. So that's a big difference. So a morning, wonderful coffee beverage with the smell and the aroma and doing the crossword puzzle. Um, that's that's no objection, but three to four cups a day, two or three of them being to prop up sagging energy levels, that's something that's really troublesome, and I don't think there'd be too much dispute with that. That sounds lovely. Do, oh, the crossword, the coffee, that sounds like a beautiful um, daily ritual, and it's and it's such, you know, um, harsh. Yeah, that's our assistance. I borrowed it from That's what he does. <laughs> oh, he's such a low man, isn't he, doing his crosswords? Love Mark. I do love Mark so much. Um, my dad does crosswords too, but he is a little bit older than Mark. And I hope that we all look as fantastic as Mark does um, when we reach our 60s. Uh, so go, Mark. So while we're just on, I know we've taken um, a ketosis diversion here, but I really love to find out what my guests think about coffee. So thanks for sharing your thoughts. So if it's a beautiful uh, daily ritual, then tick. If it's a, a an energy crutch, then cross. What are your thoughts on wine and chocolate while we're at it? <laughs> um, I'm not an alcohol drinker either, 
Um, no, for, for no big, um, no big reason. Party pooper. I know. Mm. Um, and so I get to be the designated driver. That's my distinctive purpose with all my wine drinking associates. So, um, again, it's something that's, uh, very commonly abused in modern society. So you always have to put that out there. We also have to acknowledge that it really doesn't have any distinct nutritional value outside of the things like the grapes and wine that you can get from consuming grapes. So the alcohol is a toxin to the body. And when you consume it, you put the burning of all other calorie sources on hold. So if you have uh, fat reduction goals or goals to get into a good groove with keto, you have to recognize that the alcohol is basically putting everything on hold while you burn through the calories that you consumed in the alcohol. Not the biggest deal. If you have a glass of wine now and then, um, I don't think it's going to be the, the, a bigger deal breaker. I'd, I'd rather see you um, cut out the Jamba juice in the morning than your glass of wine because there are much more health objections to a high sugar uh, Jamba juice despite what it says on the on the menu about all the, all the health benefits. Um, but that's my personal view on that. And then, of course, dark chocolate is one of the centerpieces of um, the treats and the recommended uh, – uh, foods in primal paleo and keto as well because you can get these wonderfully produced um, high quality dark chocolates that have a ton of health benefits high antioxidant values as high as any of the foods out there on the list the polyphenols the thing that uh, give you uh, um uh, cognitive benefits and a calming effect on your central nervous system and all the nutritional benefits. So I'm a huge fan of dark chocolate and I uh, like to make a preparation called dark chocolate macadamia nut bark where I melt half the mm. chocolate and the other half's chunked in there. I spread, spread blended macadamia nuts and I put it in a casserole uh, tray and, and freeze it in the, uh, in the freezer and cut it into delicious bark chunks. So I ate a ton of dark chocolate. Um, and I just heard a great podcast from Nourish Balance Thrive where they're talking about the difference in quality among even the uh, seemingly fancy dark chocolates that have a high price point. But what you want to find on the lead ingredient is cacao beans. And that's very important to find dark chocolate made with the original beans as the lead ingredient and stay away from ones that have a blend of cocoa mass, cocoa solids, chocolate liqueur, terms like that indicating mm. that there's been more processing done, which diminishes the antioxidant value. And guess what? You're going to pay a lot more money for these naturally produced bars. They usually have a fair trade stamp on it if you care about child slave labor in those chocolate-producing countries. So you want to be discriminate and pick the best chocolates that you can find on the market and the highest cacao percentage dark chocolate. That's the more nutritional benefit, the more fat, the less sugar. And then as you get down to milk chocolate, obviously that's just another sugar bomb to go with all the other things that we want to remove from the diet. So dark and uh, naturally sustainably produced is the message there. Love it. And that's new. That's news to me about the cacao bean chocolates. I'm going to go and have a little Google search for some of that afterwards. Um, and the, the 90% dark chocolate does take a while to get used to, doesn't it, when you're used to the milk chocolate. But after a while, I've just found if you, if you do, if I do steal a little bit of somebody else's chocolate, it's like putting some kind of sugary wax into your mouth. It's revolting, isn't it, compared to the depth and the, you know, the, um, well, just the depth and the taste and the quality of proper chocolate. Such a difference. Oh, my gosh. You're so right, Helen. I mean, the I have to say that I've absolutely flip-flopped with my palate and my taste buds. So 
when I was first trying to get acquainted with dark chocolate, it was recommended. I'm trying to get rid of the sugar in my diet, and I'd taste the dark chocolate, and it was tough. Like you say, when you're hitting 80, 85%, 90, and you're just having a bite out of the blue, um, most children will spit it out, right? <laughs> and so um, it was tough to get used to, but after a while, now if I go back and have a bite of milk chocolate, it's disgusting. It's way too sweet. Same with all the sweetened desserts that used to be a centerpiece in my life, like cheesecake. I'm a huge cheesecake fan. I love it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and now when I have a cheesecake, which I still do now and then when the mood strikes me, um, I can enjoy so much less volume and be totally satisfied. And a lot of them taste too sweet, and they just don't do it for me like they used to. So I feel like the cheesecake is like oozing its way out of my diet very slowly and gradually. And when I do enjoy some, it's like half of the uh, half of the amount that I used to without even thinking about it, just pounding that cheesecake and enjoying it in a, in a different way, sort of a gluttony way rather than now when we're getting to – um, you know, more attention to diet, the desire to remain in a keto state or something where you're making good decisions and you're enjoying the things that are allowed to the full extent rather than just mindlessly shoving stuff down your mouth like your example with the drinking the Starbucks while you're, mm. while you're navigating traffic. Yeah, yeah. And there's a big difference, isn't there, Brad, from, um, you know, having that one piece of cheesecake for, you know, on occasion and really enjoying it, taking time to um, experience the taste, the smell, all of it, and, and to have a smaller amount than you would just, as you said, glutton it in, um, to then say, oh, that's it. Oh, I've had something non-primal, I've fallen off the wagon, I'm a failure, I'm hopeless, and then going to that whole cycle of guilt and, and self-loathing. There's like a massive difference between the two, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I know this is a huge um, concern, especially in the female population, because we have so much flawed cultural programming around diet. But I feel like when you're talking about this um, primal paleo low-carb keto movement, you're addressing one of the major causes of eating disorder and disordered eating, not to put labels on people, but I think we all suffer from some level of disordered eating somewhere along the spectrum. Some people are diagnosed and seeing medical professional, and some people like me, when I was an athlete, um, you know, I was uh, compelled to overeat so I could recover faster and train again the next day. And then there are other people where other times when if I gained some excess body fat, it was such an important big concern for me because I was a race that I had to, you know, think about food in a way that was unwhole and unnatural. I was, you know, I was introducing these outside variables rather than just eating to full satisfaction at each meal, enjoying the experience of preparing food and shopping for healthy foods and all that wonderful stuff we do. So if you can get down to basics where you're eating meals because you're pursuing the enjoyment of food, you know that you're not carbohydrate dependent anymore. So if you skip a meal, it's no big deal. It's not going to ruin your day. And therefore, you break that unhealthy connection with food as fuel for your gas tank. And it's sort of like when we, when we drive our cars, um, I'd say we have, you know, we're addicted to gasoline because we really don't want to run out of gas. And we know what a bummer it is to walk the last seven kilometers back to our house. So we're obsessed with keeping the needle 
correct on the gas tank. And the same thing comes with our bodies when we're carbohydrate dependent. So we're thinking about our next meal. As soon as we finish lunch, we wonder what's for dinner because we know we're going to get that energy dip. We're going to be looking for snacks. We're going to making sure making sure that we're packing the proper snacks in our travel gear lest we miss, you know, go two hours without food. <laughs> and it's a troublesome way to go through life and then try to tell people, hey, have a healthy attitude about food when you're uh, when you're addicted to that sugar energy. So I want to like rewind it to that point where when you could become fat adapted, it's some people report it's the greatest awakening they've ever had in their life and they finally feel healthy and not obsessed about food anymore. So we've been, been doing Primal for a couple of years. We are deciding to, um, to try to get into ketosis. How do we know when we're there? Oh boy, good question. And again, deserving of a wise guy roundabout answer. <laughs> because when you say that term ketosis, you know, the literal definition of ketosis is that you're accumulating ketone bodies in the bloodstream faster than you're burning them. Um, and that is not necessarily indicative of being metabolically fit or being fat adapted. So in other words, the example of, you know, extreme carbohydrate restriction out of the gate to someone who's carbohydrate dependent, you're going to get into ketosis really quickly, but it means it, it has, has no, um, beneficial meaning necessarily. You might just be excreting them. Mm. Um, so that's the important thing to understand about using that term where we want to get into ketosis the right way and have it be health promoting and be hand in hand with being fat adapted and burning primarily fat rather than being dependent on carbohydrates. So how will you know you're there? We talk about this in the book a lot too. Here's another YouTube <laughs> plug for the book. Boy, am I good at that. Back and forth, giving, getting you dizzy. Um, how do you know you're there is that you can wake up in the morning and comfortably uh, not consume any calories until 12 noon, let's say, as a benchmark, and feel fine and feel great and not have a crash and burn episode later that night to blame for your extended fast because you really uh, weren't capable of doing it, but you forced yourself to do it. And so being able to access and burn stored sources of energy is your best sign that you're fat and keto adapted. Remember that the brain can burn only glucose. It can't burn fat in your brain. So your your brain is entirely dependent on glucose. It requires 20 to 25% of your total daily caloric expenditure. So it's a huge energy demand organ. So it's this ravenous sugar burning machine that you need to fuel all the time. Or as we're all familiar with, you get the afternoon blues and you start feeling saggy and draggy and you can't formulate sentences properly because you're, um, you know, you're having a sugar crash. So if you have that good cognitive uh, stable function and good general stable energy levels, that's a sign that you're uh, making the fat and ketones you need internally and that you've done the hard work necessary with dietary carbohydrate restriction. Of course, exercise is a catalyst to help you become more fat adapted if you exercise in the proper manner not over exercise and so all these subjective signs um, we're really strong on emphasizing those rather than uh, pricking your finger 10 times a day and looking at your blood numbers and searching on the internet whether um, 0.3 is good enough or 0.7 is the cutoff and all those mm -hmm. kind of things which I think down the line we can talk about those in a uh, you know, level two podcast where we're talking about a higher level of sophistication for all this stuff now that we're deep, deep into it. But for the average listener who just wants to, you know, try this ketosis thing and do it the right way, it's all about um, 
you know, fine tuning, getting that metabolic fitness going where you can uh, freely and comfortably skip meals and burn stored energy. Yes. And you know, that's the thing that I love the most about the Primal Blueprint, Brad, is that it's all about how you feel and tuning back in to um, to becoming an intuitive eater. Because I know that when I first started out um, Primal, I didn't really know when I was hungry. It was just, you know, I, I based my hunger on meal times and clock time. And I know that a lot of the, the women that I coach now, we don't know when we're hungry, because, you know, for various reasons, you know, as well as being a sugar burner, but also we've been um, socialized into clearing our plates, socialized into overeating. Otherwise, we don't get the dessert. So there's a whole lot of things. There's a whole lot of things going on there. But um, I don't want to uh, go off a tangent too much. But that's the thing I love the most about the Primal Blueprint is it's all about becoming an expert in you and really developing that self-awareness. And and even though we've got all of this technology where we can measure every single step that we've done and how many times we turned over in our sleep and how much we weigh and how many, how much, you know, ketones are in our blood and or our urine, it doesn't matter, right? It just depends on how you feel. Have you got the energy? Are you feeling hungry? So those are really the signs to look for, right? Oh, love it. Very well said. Absolutely right. And of course, you got to enjoy yourself along the way. So when you hear people talk in terms of uh, saying terms like cheat days with their diet, I get absolutely revolted and uh, disappointed in that mentality and that mentality being bantered around as something that's um, worthwhile. Because if you require a cheat day in your diet, then there's something wrong with your diet. Uh, mm-hmm. it, 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 it gives the connotation that you're suffering through some diet that's not contributing to the enjoyment of your life. So um, the, the cheat day is uh, something to reframe and recalibrate to saying, you know, I guess every day is an indulgent day is a better way to say it. And there's so many ways that you can live this lifestyle and get deep into the the gourmet aspects and all these great cookbooks. And we have a hundred recipes in the um, the keto reset diet. Dr. Lindsay Taylor, uh, my sidekick over at uh, Primal Endurance, Primal Blueprint. Um, she did. We just did some filming in her kitchen today, where she showed all these wonderful, delicious preparations that are so easy to make and so delicious, and just you know, so much more delicious and satisfying than the quick food that we get when we're locked into carbohydrate dependency when we're out on the street and uh, getting that sugary Jamba juice or the Starbucks. I'm sorry, those those people are not going to sponsor your podcast probably <laughs> after listening not. to me. But, um, you know, it's a big difference to get into this movement and prioritize food um, to the extent that you're a true gourmet at all times and you can pick and choose um, the meals based on uh, based on pleasure rather than regimentation or following, uh, you know, some, some predetermined arbitrary uh, information that they're, they're telling you, whether it's a coach or a magazine or a book. Yeah, I love it. So ketosis, is it something that we want to be aiming for all the time? Or is it like the book says, more of a reset? Good question. I think um, we're very happy, Mark and I, uh, having, having sorted through um, all the controversy and the naysayers and the critique, um, we're very happy the way this message came out. And I think it's really something that is a bucket list item for everyone, no matter who you are. 
you should at least go through the process of ditching the unhealthy refined carbohydrates permanently from your diet, as well as the uh, refined vegetable oils that are so toxic and destructive to health at the, at the DNA cellular level immediately upon ingestion, absolutely awful that they're still available for consumption on the planet. So if you can ditch the grains, sugars, and refined vegetable oils and trend in the direction of metabolic flexibility, the ability to burn a variety of fuel sources, this is all extremely health-promoting, extremely beneficial, zero downside to building your metabolic flexibility through things like fasting or carbohydrate restriction. And then finally, that ultimate step of getting into ketosis and trying to sustain nutritional ketosis for a minimum of six weeks because that's when you really get the full benefits kicking in from like uh, week zero to three. It might be a little bit of a struggle. It's less carbs than you're used to. Um, you might have some even some energy dips as you're revving up those fat-burning genes, but they're not quite at full strength. But then as you get into week three, four, five, and six, you start to feel fantastic. You're dropping excess body fat as easy as you ever had, and you, you're keeping it off, and there's no hunger pains, and there's no struggling and suffering. So everyone deserves to complete that keto reset complete program at least once in their lives. And it's probably a very, very good idea in the winter months when the days are colder and shorter and darker, um, when we're designed to sleep more, exercise less, and consume less carbohydrates. That's another good time to say that you would do an annual keto reset where you dip into the strict nutritional ketosis for six weeks and maybe do that once a year. So I would recommend that for almost every everybody. It can't hurt. It's not going to even disturb an extreme high competitive athlete because we're talking about doing it in the winter for six weeks. And so from there, then you have an assortment of options and preferences and you know personal experimentation to see what works best for you. And this is a topic, now I'm getting off on a tangent, but I think it's an important one that we've been talking about off camera and offline amongst our team in great detail because we want to have a, a strong message to come out with. But one thing that's been really um, uh, on my mind lately is that if you're in a certain category, like you're a person who is comfortable or claiming that they have ideal body composition, they don't need to lose excess body fat. Um, their blood markers look good, so their triglycerides are low, their HDL is high, um, the uh, inflammatory markers like C-reactive protein are low, the HbA1c, the long-term glucose in, in the insulin levels are low. You have good blood, you have good body fat, and you have athletic or competitive goals and fitness goals, and you want to get the most out of your body and recover quickly, you might be of following a little different decision-making process than someone who's trying to recover from metabolic damage, adrenal dysfunction, thyroid dysfunction, or has excess body fat that they're having a very difficult time removing it. And so right now, um, we've been of the thinking to date that dialing back your carbohydrates is the simplest and most direct route to dropping excess body fat. There might be some nuances of that to consider where you want to kind of cycle in and out and go back up with your caloric intake so that you don't slow down your metabolic function in response to cutting your, uh, your calories trying to lose weight. So maybe the best way to lose excess body fat is to spend a lot of time in keto and then other times where you relaxed your standards, you're allowing back in some sweet potatoes, some fruit, uh, whatever you enjoy. 
especially if you're athletic. Um, but, you know, taking a, a thoughtful approach to see what works and what doesn't. And there's some great spokespeople out there that are um, pounding the drum. I got to meet Leanne Vogel, who's a popular keto author at a recent conference at KetoCon in Austin, Texas. And people are spreading a really good message. It's really reasonable. There's not a lot of wackos out there that are um, getting this uh, getting this crazy and misinterpreting. So I think like common sense is prevailing. But when it's not, when you get a soundbite from someone or a casual comment from someone, you know, make sure you keep things in the proper perspective and that you look to your own personal goals and, and needs uh, more so than just blindly following uh, what someone else says. Excellent advice. I love it. I love it. Now, we're just going to round off with a couple of final questions, Brad. Uh, one is a reader's question, which is, can we eat too much fat? Good question. Wow. Um, if Dr. Lindsay heard that one on the Keto Reset Facebook group, she would go to town and mm. probably already has with some extensive comments because this is a big uh, topic of discussion and controversy in the keto game right now. Um, and I would say, you know, just to give a quick answer, since I've given so many wise guy answers, uh, yeah, you can. And the idea, the main idea of, um, of ketone production and, and ketone burning is this survival genetic survival instinct to kick in when you don't have sufficient dietary carbohydrate calories and so when you're in that starvation like state is when your body works really well in a fasting or starvation state is when you have the enhanced cell repair the autophagy the cleaning out of damaged cellular material natural cellular detoxification processes all upregulate when you're fasted or when you're starving or when you're in um, this uh, keto-style eating pattern where you're burning a lot of stored body fat rather than stuffing your face with fat every single day in the name of being in this keto diet thing. So there's not ne it's not necessarily about stuffing your face with fat and making a concerted effort to go find more and more sources of fat to consume because you're so good at burning stored body fat that you can easily tap into your body fat storage and get even further benefits um, from from the um, the the, uh, the keto uh, uh, lifestyle. Right. So it's really about becoming an expert and in you. Think, uh, oh, sorry, Brad. I think we just got a little bit um, broken up there. Carry on. Yeah, sorry, sorry, uh, because it seems like uh, one of the huge uh, and, and most overpowering goals in this whole scene is to get rid of that excess body fat once and for all. So if you're stuffing your face with, you know, high fat beverages that give you four or 500 calories with not a lot of nutrition, by the way, um, you're kind of defeating the purpose of getting good at burning your own stored body fat. Uh, now, going back several minutes in the show, um, if you're concerned about the stress of fasting and you have a healthcare practitioner that's saying, you know, be careful with your adrenals, we don't want to fast for extended periods, and you have some uh, small high-fat meals or high-fat snacks to sustain you throughout the day, that might be a good protocol for you. But the idea of going out there and stuffing your face and forcing yourself to consume extra fat in the name of keto is not warranted. That's a great explanation because I think there's um, a lot of stuff uh, floating around on the internet now, you know, with fat bombs and bulletproof coffees alongside your bacon and eggs and avocado. And it's probably a little bit excessive to, um, I guess you can consume enough of the fat that you require um, from, yeah, choosing high fat foods like eggs, avocados, your macadamia nuts. You need to move to Australia so you can get 
so such good quality uh, macadamia nuts. I should send you some bread. That's right. They're so in abundance. Oh my gosh! They're fantastic. They're fantastic. I'll trade you for some primal mayo if you want. Oh, that sounds like a great deal. Um, so tell me about the book because I can't wait. Mine is ordered. It's on its way. What's in the book? So I've got you've you've mentioned there's a six six week protocol to follow. Is that right? Uh, well, the stages are first you do this 21 day reset, which is referenced on the title as kind of the hook is, uh, that's how you sell books about, uh, diet is you have those numbers on there and something that the, <laughs> the reader can grab onto and jump into. And it's really nice because this 21 day metabolism reset is all about the act of ditching grains, sugars, and refined vegetable oils as the first and foremost goal before we talk about anything related to keto or, uh, macronutrient. Uh, uh, composition and percentages. So first, we got to get the junk out of our diet. And at the same time, during that first 21 days, we're going to focus on our exercise, sleep and stress management patterns, because these go hand in hand with dietary transformation. So if you just cut the sugar out of your diet, but you're not sleeping enough, and you're over exercising, and you're constantly stressed and wired on adrenaline, these are behaviors that promote sugar burning and promote carbohydrate dependency. Even though your, your actual sleep has nothing to do with the foods you chose that day, when you wake up the next day being deficient on sleep, you're going to be profoundly insulin resistant, even missing a single night of sleep or a single night of compromised sleep. Or I think there was one study from University of Chicago, two weeks of compromised sleep uh, increased insulin resistance by double. In other words, um, the inability to use insulin successfully and be more dependent and more craving of sugar in the diet. So you've got to get the sleep, exercise, and stress management matters handled during this 21-day reset. So it really is an all-in, jump-in practice to get your uh, all four aspects cleaned up, the diet, the exercise, the sleep, and the stress management. Now, when you graduate from that 21-day reset, you actually take a keto reset diet midterm exam in the middle of the book, and these are um, checkpoints to see how well you are doing with your metabolic flexibility, your fat adaptation. So it's a series of subjective questions like, how long can you last in the morning uh, before you need to eat? And if you can last till 8 a.m., that's not a high score because that's right when you wake up or one hour after you wake up. But if you can get till noon, you're getting high scores in these metabolic flexibility areas. And those indicate that you will be ready for the final stage of the process, which is entering nutritional ketosis for six weeks. And that it requires dialing in your protein intake so it's not excessive and regulating your carb intake to 50 grams per day or below if you're active and only 20 grams per day if you're inactive. So you want to be active, of course, and it really greatly contributes to your progress. That's fantastic. And, and that's, it really is the, the key, isn't it? A lot, I think, and this is really also a hangover from what we talked about before, Brad, with regards to uh, the flawed conventional wisdom that we've been got, we've been receiving around diet, um, is that we just need to focus on food. And whereas it does, it starts with food and foods like I, I feel the biggest uh, biohack you can, um, you can do, uh, it really does, you need to have those other components, uh, like you say, the four, the four areas, I call them the four pillars in my coaching, because because you do need to have, have all of those aspects. So now my closing question, it's a bit of a political one. I've been a bit umming and erring whether I'm going to ask it, but you know. What, what do I think of President Trump? 
No, um, I'm absolutely shocked at how stupid our country is to elect him. Oh, sorry, it's not a political <laughs> show. Vicky Freeborough has asked. She's been following um, a low carb, high fat keto kind of diet for a while, and she's seen a lot of um, improvements in herself and also in the in the keto communities. And her question, are you ready for this one, Brad? Is why aren't government bodies doing more research into the outcomes of following keto, and why do we still get prescribed? the food pyramid that is clearly causing harm (laughs) political question for sure um i recall a great quote from uh dr doug mcguff who's one of our authors he wrote the primal prescription and he wrote uh, body by science a very popular strength training book and he's an emergency room physician from south carolina and he uh, made the comment that um look science government and all these uh, these large bodies will come around. They'll see the light, you know, to the uh, the ancestral uh, way, the thing that we're we're on the cutting edge of, and, and getting more and more support. But it's still a very small percentage of society that agrees that these are the foundational principles of healthy eating. He says everything will come around, but it's going to take twenty years because that's how slowly science moves and that's how slowly the massive government agencies and uh, you know the the behemoth organizations move um, and he said personally I don't want to wait that long so I'm going to take matters into my own hands right now and study up myself do the research you know vet the research myself make informed decisions test something out for 21 days if you're a naysayer and a skeptic give yourself 21 days and see if um, things don't feel better for you. And that's a great way to characterize um, and, and kind of help with the frustration of why the government is still spouting this nonsense. I think there's marketing forces, too, that are in there that are so powerful and have so much lobby and influence on government policy. And we know now that this is the state of being in modern society. Um, but the great thing about you know living in the free world is that we still have that freedom of choice where we can decide to go down to the market and purchase what we want and not purchase the things that we don't want that we don't believe in and we can make that statement with our wallet and we can shape culture accordingly that's why you know organic has become so popular in the last 15 years is because consumers said oh this is healthier okay i guess i should buy it and not buy this other stuff and therefore the you know the the prices uh become more affordable as more demand comes and it's wonderful to see change take place among forward-thinking people and who wants to be backward thinking i'd rather be forward thinking at the front of the pack you know absolutely and who's got 20 years to hang around and wait to see if the politicians agree with us or not and i really really like that answer brad because it's really about yeah becoming an expert in yourself being the change you want to see and you know we we often feel frustrated with our politicians but we do have so much power in the fact that we can vote with our dollar and we can you know in australia here we're seeing grass-fed meat coming into the mainstream um, supermarkets, which is fantastic because it was so hard to source before. So it's it's power to the people. Vote with your dollar, hey? Also, it's important to realize um, some of our notions, uh, our flawed notions, such as the fact that a, uh, a medical doctor, a physician, 
is necessarily knowledgeable about nutrition because they haven't been trained in nutrition. They may have a personal interest in nutrition, and some of them are prominent authors in our field and uh, wonderful for them. Dr. Kate Shanahan, one of my favorite people, mm. she's a frontline person that it has patients every day in a family practice medical clinic, but she's also um, deep into the research and one of the leading proponents of ditching oils out of the diet and all those great things. But that's just because she's a unique individual that has done that studying on her own. But when you have traditional medical training, they might not know anything about diet, but they still might be of that mindset or that type of personality where they're going to dispense dietary advice to their patients just because they're in this position of power and authority and the patients are going to be listening and receptive rather than skeptical. So I want to, you know, when I was an athlete, this goes back to um, my days, you know, trying to make the right decisions in training. And I took um, feedback and uh, guidance from people that had been there and achieved great things as athletes. I believe they had tremendous credibility right on the surface because they had already run a 13 flat 5,000 meters or whatever it was. And so that had a lot of value to me that they were walking their talk and living that life. Uh, and then they could dispense information as an authority. So if you go to a, your physician and they're giving you some dietary advice, but they're not a picture of health themselves, I would second guess that stuff. And as far as a politician, they have, you know, no expertise in nutrition necessarily. And they might have uh, untoward influences on what they say because they're politicians. So, you know, we got to go to good sources of people that put out good information and then try it and, and vet it out ourselves so we can trust something that really works for us. Awesome. Love it. Now, we can find you at bradkearns.com. Where can we find the book? Oh, go check out ketoreset.com. And it has all kinds of fun uh, information on there, including a what we call a pre-order bonus offer. So I'm going to extend that to all your listeners and keep it going, even though uh, the official release date, October 3rd, has already passed. So whenever this podcast airs, if you purchase your book wherever you like uh, in your online or at a bookstore and you go to ketoreset.com, you can enter in uh, a receipt number or something that proved you purchased it, and we'll send you four um, free uh, digital uh, bonus items. So there's some recipes that come in a PDF form. Um, there's a, uh, a hour-long uh, discussion with Mark and I, the authors of the book, where we get into deep into the topics and sort of unplugged and some uh, interesting new information and a couple other great bonus items that you'll love. Uh, a whole cookbook, the um, Sauces, Dressings, and Toppings Primal Blueprint Cookbook is one of the bonus items. So take advantage of that offer and we'll have more content coming up. But also go to Facebook and join the Keto Reset Facebook group moderated by Dr. Lindsay Taylor. And these guys are going crazy. We only formed the group on September 14th. So less than a month later, we have like 11,000 members. It's gone absolutely crazy. There's a lot of engagement and it's real and it's real people. So I definitely want you to uh, head over to the Facebook group and the website and we'll go from there. It's a seriously awesome Facebook group. I've, um, I joined that just the other day and it was 8,000 and it's already jumped to 11. That's absolutely phenomenal. Well done. That's really cool. Hey, Brad, before you go, did you, um, did you narrate um, the Primal Blueprint certification course? The actual M. Oh, uh, yeah, that oh, was me. 
I listen yeah. to all 13 of 13 hours of my voice. I love oh, thanks it. for thanks for listening. You know that that was Yeah, so- I figured some people, you know, they might want want to read as much as they have time to listen. So I said I'm just I'm just going to talk it up, man. You know, it was so I'm so grateful you did that because sitting down and reading it, it was too overwhelming, but I could put you hmm. on whilst I was baking or cleaning or pottering and then I could just sit down and uh, and uh, do the test and uh, I flew through the course. It was it was awesome and it's so much easier to absorb when it's being spoken to you. And you were funny, you know, like you'd say, oh, blah, blah, blah. And you, and you kept doing these little like, at the end of each of that. Oh, I yeah. loved it. I loved it. So thank you. If you're, gonna, if you're gonna make that commitment to listen to me for 13 hours, mm. we're gonna have some fun. And I, by the way, I also narrated the Keto Reset Diet book. And so this was, um, you know, from a major publisher, Harmony Books. I went to their fancy um, uh, Penguin Random House recording studios, and I had an engineer and a director doing everything the fancy way, unlike the health coach that you heard. Um, but I ad lib so much off the script of the book that this guy was shaking his head like he could not Shut believe <laughs> I was just spewing this stuff out of my mouth that came out of nowhere. But I thought it added some value to the book, so I'd just start talking as an aside, and then I'd say, okay, let's get back to the book now. And Love um, it. I, I if I can make myself laugh, that's important while I'm reading for eight hours as well. So yeah. um, go ahead and enjoy the audio version of the Keto Reset Diet too. Even better. Love it. Brad, thank you so much for all of your time today. It has been an absolute honor and a thrill and a career high to have a chat with you. So, so grateful. Oh, remember the primal alternative. Thank you for listening. What a great show, Helen. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Brad. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.